0: The scripture today is from Micah 6, 1 through 8. Hear what the Lord says. Arise, plead your case before the mountains, and let the hills hear your voice. Hear, you mountains, the indictment of the Lord and your enduring foundations of earth. For the Lord has an indictment against his people, and he will contend with Israel. O my people, what have I done to you? How have I wearied you? Answer me, for I brought you up from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery, and I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. O my people, remember what Balak king of Moab devised, and what Balaam the son of Beor answered him, and what happened from Shittim to Gilgah, that you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. With what shall I come before the Lord? and to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God.
1: So the general sentiment this year for 2016, or shall I say last year, is that it was a tough year, right? And not just because um, a number of pop stars and actors uh, passed away, uh, but um, CNN recently ran an article, if you can believe it, that cataloged 142 unusual outlandish political happenings that happened in the United States this past year, and I thought that number was a little low. I was a little shocked by that. I could swear it was more than 142. Uh, If you're like me, you couldn't wait for November 8th to come, and regardless of who you voted for, uh, I think all of us were on the same page that we were just ready for it to be done, right? Just when you thought that, um, you know, the drama and the insults and the the accusations couldn't get more outlandish. Surprise, right? Yet another thing happened. And, um, but setting, even setting that aside, um, on a more serious uh, note of, of all of the, the natural disasters and terrorist attacks that happened last year and the, um, the human carnage and suffering and complexity of the war in Syria, and all of those things uh, added up to a feeling of weariness, a feeling of, of, of um, being perplexed at the end of this year. And if you're like me, um, uh, you also have personal things that could contribute to that. So um, for me, I just graduated seminary and welcomed our, our uh, first child into the world. So that might be why um, I, I feel wearied uh, in a different sort of way. Um, and I'm sure you might, you might have some personal reasons why you might have reached the finish line of 2016, just ready for the new year, just very ready for the new year to begin. In our passage today in Micah six, uh, God wants to talk to us about our weariness. But it's a deeper weariness than circumstantial weariness. The Lord uh, begins in verse one, if you take a look at it, uh, by talking to the prophet Micah himself the Lord speaks to Micah and says, arise, plead your case before the mountains and let the hills hear your voice. So Micah um, begins by, um, or rather the Lord begins by telling Micah to set a courtroom scene, to call the mountains and the hills that are representative of creation to uh, bear witness. And the Lord does something very surprising here. He puts himself on trial. He says, My people, O oh, people of Israel, do you have an accusation against me? What what injustice have I done to you? So the Lord puts himself on the witness stand, so to speak. And he asks some profound questions. He, he says in verse verse 3, O oh, my people, what have I done to you? How have I wearied you? Answer me. So um Just backing up for a second, if you look at at verse two, here you mountains, the indictment of the Lord. That word indictment can also mean controversy. It can also mean a complaint. So the Lord wants to talk to them. The Lord wants to hash this out. Um, He he lets them know this is not just a rhetorical question. He says, answer me. He wants them to actually uh, talk to him about the ways that that, uh, they are feeling weary with the Lord. This is important for us because if we, if we set aside circumstantial reasons for why we feel weary um, and we remember that, that in Christ, God has given us peace, right? He's given us a peace that's meant to give, give us rest in our hearts, no matter what's going on in our lives. And so if we feel a deeper weariness at the end of this, uh, this year and the beginning of a new year, uh, it very well might be weariness with the Lord. That's what we wanna look at this morning. So uh, first, we wanna look at the nature of our weariness. If God were to honestly ask you these questions this morning face-to-face and you were to honestly respond to him, how would you respond? If he looked, looked at you and said your name and said, how have I wearied you? What have I done to you? And some of you are looking at me um, replying probably what you'd reply uh, to to the Lord, uh, you haven't wearied me, God. What are you talking about, you know? Just and true are all of your ways. Your leadership is perfect. I love everything you're doing in my life. Uh, I wouldn't change a thing. Uh, And I would say, good for you. (laughs) But I would question whether you're truly being honest with, with yourself and with the Lord. See, sometimes we're not honest when we pray maybe we feel like it's, it wouldn't it be reverent enough if we were truly honest with the Lord, with um, every thought in our head, with what we wrestle with, what we go through in a day-to-day basis. Or maybe it's because you're like me and you know the right answer in your head. You know the right theological answer and so you feel guilty about feeling the way that you do. And so you don't bring those, those feelings to the Lord. But uh, if you know anything about bottling up your emotions, you know that that can never go well, right? Uh, Married couples in the room, you actually probably know this well and can probably anticipate where I'm going with this. Uh, But Lisa and I, my wife, during uh, the first year of our marriage, we quickly found out a rule that we decided to live by because uh, we, you know, as as, is somewhat typical in our first year of marriage, we'd argue and, argue more frequently than now, and we, we, we just would butt heads, and we were trying to figure out why was this happening? Why was this going on? And there, was, there were several reasons as we you know, did a lot of soul searching and communication, but one of the big things that um, we realized, or particularly for me, is that I wasn't communicating uh, frequently or openly enough uh, about little things that would bother me. And you could probably guess uh, what would happen is that um, we'd find ourselves arguing over something that didn't matter at all, it was completely silly, right? And go from zero to 60 in 10 seconds and I'd be so frustrated with myself, like why am I so mad, right? Why, why did this little dumb thing make me so so upset? And I realized um, that it wasn't the thing that we were fighting over, it was the five or 10 things that had been building up for the past few weeks that, that you were really arguing over. So it's the same way in our relationship with the Lord. As, um, as Presbyterians, as Calvinists, uh, we can be uh, particularly in danger of this um, in using uh, the sovereignty of God as a, as a veneer, as a, as a um, cover up for our inward offense. In times of hardship, and times of suffering, uh, we can confess God is sovereign, God is good, God is in control, which is true, it's absolutely true. And I cling to those truths desperately. Uh, But we can use those truths to hide our feelings towards the Lord. And while saying the right truths, we can inwardly grow to doubt God's goodness his love for us, and we can become callous, we can become weary. But you can't hide weariness with God forever. That's why it's so important to talk about. Uh, David in Psalm 62 is a great example of, of, of what to do with those feelings of um, the real raw feelings of your heart the Lord and in every season of life like we just sang about. He says in Psalm 62, pour out your heart before the Lord for he is a refuge for us. And David gives us great examples of this in, throughout the Psalms. And some people are actually bothered by the Psalms because David is just a little bit too honest, right? And in our community Bible reading, I mentioned this because we're reading both the life of David and the Psalms side by side. And that's instructive for us because it shows us there's nothing we can't be honest about with God. There's nothing we can't be honest about with God. I challenge you to be as honest as David was with God. It would be difficult to do. But the, the reason we want to be honest with God is because he wants us to talk to him. That's what uh, Micah 6 is, is telling us here is that he wants us to answer him because he is the one the only one that truly understands better than we understand uh, our own situation, our own life, our own family, our own job, our own struggles. But uh, the Lord goes on in, in verse four and five and gives them um, some reasons why they are weary. Why have they become weary of the Lord, weary of serving the Lord, like we've seen in, in uh in uh, the, the first and the second uh, message in the sermon series of, of Advent of how the people were turning to idolatry. And uh, it was because of this weariness with the Lord. And the Lord says that it's because they had forgotten his faithfulness, that he, had, uh, that he had delivered them from Egypt in the Exodus, that he had defended them as they inherited the promised land, that he fought their battles for them in verses four and five. And um, I want to say that, you know, at at this point that um, it's good to trust in the sovereignty of God. I don't want to move on before saying that, because it is good to say yes and amen, no matter what I'm going through. I'm being conformed to the image of Christ, that God is working all things, both good and, and bad, to my good, to my eternal good, that Yes and amen, that through tribulation and hardship, I'm being conformed to the image of Christ. That, that this is working in the patience in me, like James says, and patience is going to have its perfect work so, so as to bring me to perfection, to God's glory. And this is important to, to, uh, to embrace because, as John Calvin said, uh, once said in the Institutes, uh, he said, if God is not sovereign, over everything, if he's not ultimately in control, with what anxiety should we live our lives? <laughs> anxiety would be the right response if God was not in control of, of evil men, of evil spirits, of, of, of the devil, of, of all of the, the natural disasters and everything that's going on. It's right to, to embrace that God is um, ultimately in control. This makes me think of C-3PO. You'll have to humor me. But if you remember, uh, he often reminded Han Solo of the the probability of bad things happening, right? And what was Han Solo's response? Never tell me the odds. Um, But that's not our response as Christians, right? Our response as Christians is that we should pray about everything with Thanksgiving. That's what Paul says in Philippians. And that is because God is in control. And that is, that is a, the reason, the solid foundation for our hope. But what can get lost in the battle is not just that God is in control, but it's that God is good, that God loves you, that God is walking with you, that God's not the unsympathetic and un, uh, the unmoved mover, so to speak, of, of the agnostics and the deists. Right or he's not even the Christian version of that, where uh, you know Jesus came and died, rose again, ascended to heaven, seated on the throne, and now uh, you know good luck to everyone on the earth until we get there. Or he comes back here, right? That's not that's not the way it is. That's not what the Bible presents Jesus to be. Jesus is the God who sees. That's a name for God in the Old Testament. Jesus is the God who sees you. He is the faithful one. That is the, the, the message for us to remember is the faithfulness of God. He is the God who's seen it all. He's paying attention. He is involved. And he is at work. And in verse six and seven, um, we see the people actually respond to the Lord. So again, we're in the courtroom of creation, the mountains and the hills are there, <laughs> Micah's there, the Lord is there and the Lord, the Lord is saying, answer me, people. What injustice have I done? How have I wearied you? And the people respond, in essence, um, saying that God had left them in the dark to figure it out all alone. And it, this, this, there's at least two parts to this accusation. And the first one, it goes something like, I don't know what to do with my guilt and I'm left alone to figure it out on my own. If you look at uh, verse six, it's, they say, with what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Uh, this is somewhat ironic because the people had the entire book of Leviticus to answer this question. <laughs> Um, and yet they're still still there saying, well, I don't know what to do. God, I mean, you just kind of left us, left us here to figure it out on our own. But we do that too sometimes, don't we? Is we, sometimes um, we flail in our guilt and we forget that God has made a way, right? That God has made a way of atonement, a way of forgiveness for us. And the second um, charge of injustice is an, uh, it's an undertone here that goes something like this. Uh, God, I've worked so hard at serving you, but it's never enough. Your expectations are harsh and unrealistic. In verse seven, the people say, will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with tens, 10,000s ten of rivers of oil? It's almost like they're saying, Will a 1,000 rams be good enough for you, God? No, how about 10,000 rivers of oil <laughs> you know, as a sacrifice? It's a charge of injustice against the Lord that, that his requirements are unreasonable. But what, what you see here is that they actually go well, well beyond what God has required of them. In fact, they, they go as far as to suggest that God would require child sacrifice from them, which is not what the Lord required at all. In fact, that was an abhorrent to God. And they, were, they began to confuse God with the gods of the surrounding nations. They had forgot that God had revealed himself in the scripture, that God had revealed himself of what kind of God he was. And we're just as prone to do this. We're just as prone to, uh, to drift away from who God has revealed himself to be to us. Um, This was uh, actually the first lie that the serpent told Eve in the Garden of Eden in Genesis three, if you remember. The first lie that the serpent told was to float the idea that uh, God had commanded them to not eat from any tree in the garden. Has, Has God really commanded you not to eat from any tree in the garden? Do you see how subtle that is? God had only commanded them to not eat from one tree but it, it suggests that God is, is harsh, that his rules are overbearing, that he doesn't understand. We see this again with the Pharisees, don't we? And the Pharisees sought to set a hedge or boundary around law. They made it more strict than what God actually had required so that no one could even come close to breaking God's laws. But Jesus, uh, Jesus loved to... to um, disregard that boundary on purpose, to heal on the Sabbath, so on and so forth. Why? Because uh, that, that is, uh, in, in other words, it's called legalism. It actually, uh, uh, it pulls people away from God because it's that same lie that God's requirements are harsh, that it's about burdensome rule keeping It's devoid of mercy and justice and relationship with God, um, like Jesus uh, told the Pharisees. Jesus' uh, message to the people in the midst of that is in Matthew 11, where he says, uh, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So we're talking about weariness with God. What makes people weary with God, with serving God? And thinking that we, we don't know what to do with our guilt and God has left us in the dark and that God's rules are burdensome. Those are two, two pillars that, that make our relationship with God just devoid of, of, um, of substance devoid of the joy of serving the Lord. Because when we see that God has made a way for free forgiveness, God has provided an atonement for us, a way for us to come back to him in Jesus, and that his commandments now that we are in Christ are actually not burdensome. They're what we were created for. They're liberating to our hearts to love others well, to bring about good in the world, that we can know God and be known by him. That we can love God with all of our hearts and to love one another gen- genuinely, that is, that is freedom. That's, that's not a burden. That's what Jesus says, His yoke is easy, and his burden is light. And that brings us uh, to verse eight, if you look with me in Matthew, uh, excuse me, in Micah six, verse eight. Micah uh, comes to the, to the Lord's defense. He says, "He has told you oh man, what is good? He goes, wait, 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 wait. He's told you. Haven't you seen this lately? (laughs) You know, haven't you seen the Bible lately? Um, And then even in more ways than that. But if you see, um, he expands the audience. He says, he has told you, oh man. Oh man is literally in Hebrew, uh, oh Adam, and it's the, the, the word in Hebrew used to address all of mankind. And that makes uh, Micah chapter six, verse eight, um, just an, an amazing magisterial verse that in a way summarizes what God has called everyone to in the scripture. But uh, so because of that, we could talk about what it means to do justice, what it means to love mercy or literally to love, steadfast love, and to walk humbly with God for weeks and weeks um, and explore the implications of that and and how the scripture teaches us to do that. But in context, um, specifically addressed at the question of weariness again. Specifically, um, to answer how, you know, in summary, how God had revealed himself, had revealed himself in such a way that they should um, not be weary in serving the Lord, just like we were talking about, of how the commandments of the Lord are not burdensome. So, there are, there are two, two ways that horizontally God has uh, called us uh, to what is good and what is pleasing to Him, and one vertical way that, that uh, Micah addresses. First is to do justice. And secondly, as I was saying, to to love steadfast love, or in other words, to love faithfully. To love loving faithfully. And uh, from that, you know, we see that uh, the Lord is actually the one who does justice, the Lord is the one who loves loving faithfully. And for us to remember the Lord, to, to remember who God is, that he's not the gods of the surrounding nation. He's not the God of, of rappers who don't serve God, who thank God publicly on award stages. He's not the, the generic God. He's our God, right? For us to remember who our God is, is to remember that in, uh, he says about himself in Jeremiah 9, let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands And knows me that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. To know that that's who God is, is to be that way ourselves, is to be conformed to that image. Jesus is the same God as the God of the Old Testament. And because of that, we can say the same things about the God that we serve right, that God cares about social justice, that God cares about the poor, that God cares about uh, upholding the dignity of the image of God that he's placed in every single human being, that God cares about the oppressed and the vulnerable, and he longs to bring about good and mercy in their lives through the church, through us. God hates oppression, he still does. We've seen that in the book of Micah. He hates injustice and he, he longs for men and women to stand in the gap on his behalf in his name to stand up to oppression, to bring about justice. He longs for us to show his faithful love in our relationships and our families to all those around us. And both of those things really flow out of the one uh, vertical summary that we have here, vertical meaning in our relationship with God. So that's where I wanna close today, uh, this morning, as we uh, look at how, how has God told us how we can um, be healed of our weariness in our walk with God. I believe uh, this is in uh, four uh, profound words in verse eight, to walk humbly with your God. First, uh, God calls us back to walking with Him. Christian life is a journey; it's a lifelong walk. And uh, if uh, if you've had a season like me, uh, it would it would be a lot easier if we could surrender our lives to Christ in one prayer, in one church service, in one youth camp. And one uh, maybe young adult conference like the Passion Conference, you know, all to Jesus I surrender. And then you go back to your real life, you know, the next week. And you, you have to keep fighting, you have to keep walking, right? It would be so much easier if, if if it was one and done. But it's extremely comforting to know that God has a long-term perspective when he relates to us in our walk with him, that God is patient with us. Sometimes I can uh, be very frustrated that it feels like three steps forward, two steps back in my relationship with the Lord. Have you ever felt that way? You can feel so um, caught up in the the struggles of the here and now that you forget that God is is working in you over a long period of time, that he's not frustrated with you. Um, So I have a newborn at home and I am amazed. Newborn baby Jane is three weeks old, Last week, and she has grown so much. I can see it. Um, I imagine that this this continues. <laughs> I'm anticipating this with joy, of just watching the way that she'll grow. And maybe you've seen this with your kids of of measuring their height. And it doesn't it doesn't seem like in the the, the slow growth that you're actually growing in your relationship with God, but you are. It takes time, and that that commitment to a long-term journey is how the Lord is committed to you. And knowing that gives you um, permission to sign back up again and again for the long-term walk with God. Secondly, God's uh, called us to walk with him humbly. What does that mean? Um, God's called us to relinquish control of our lives. When we functionally feel like we have to, figure it out, out on our own, where uh, Jesus is up there on his throne, I'm down here on the earth, and now I, I'm, I'm left to pull myself up by my bootstraps and I have to figure it out. God wants us to submit to his word. God wants us to submit to the ways that he has revealed himself. And God wants us to recognize our need to walk with him every day, I need thee, I need thee, every hour I need thee. That is humility. It's the I need thee, oh God, every hour I need thee. I wanna feel that more this year. I don't know about you. I want that humility in my heart. Uh, as we've read in the Proverbs recently as a church, uh, as a church to um, trust in the Lord with all of our hearts and to lean not on our own understanding. Third, uh, all of these are very related, but um, God has promised that he would always be with us. The book of Hebrews, it says that the Lord will uh, never leave you nor forsake you. In the Greek, that's the strongest negation that could possibly be used in the language. <laughs> so it could, it could be translated in Micah's translation. Uh, he will never, ever in a million years ever forsake you. Uh, it's the strongest possible negation. Uh, negation of, of the idea that he would ever forsake us. And likewise, in, in the Great Commission, Jesus promised to us that he would be with us to the end of the age. This is, um, this is so important. It's something that, that I personally want to have renewed is a, is a God consciousness, is day by day recognizing that God is still God with us that God is God with us in Jesus as we've celebrated at Advent by becoming a man, by walking among us, living among us, living our life perfectly and dying our death, coming for us to rescue us. But it doesn't stop there, right? God has sent us his Holy Spirit to each one of us who are in Christ. And that is God's presence with us day by day. Fourth and finally, God, God wants uh, us to remember, like, like we were saying before, that he isn't just any God, that he's, he's your God, he's our God. This is amazing, this is what, what Jesus accomplished for us is in the new covenant. The covenant promises that I will be your God and you will be my people. And because of that, the implication of that is that you can own the truth of God's love for you in the gospel, personally. You can own it. You can own God as your God. You get God forever. That is our reward. And that's what we can enjoy now in Christ. I had a previous uh, pastor when I lived in Kansas City who went through the Bible, read through the whole Bible and wrote his name down every time there was a promise or statement of God's love. So for God so loved the world, you don't have to cross it out but for God so loved Micah Meisberg, that he gave his only begotten son and so on and so forth. You can do that in Christ. You can do that. All of those things are true for you. He calls us to, back to a personal relationship with him in this new year. If you're here and you haven't trusted in Christ and maybe God is not your God, you're not able to call God your God, God calls you to be gracious, uh, to Graciously be honest with him about the places uh, of offense in your heart towards him. And he wants to talk to you about it. But he also invites you to lay those at his feet. Because the, the only way to receive this amazing gift of God's forgiveness, this amazing gift of eternal life and a personal relationship with God is humbly the only way to walk with God, the creator of the universe is humbly by trusting in Jesus Christ, his son, as Lord and savior. For all of us here, um, as, as Parker and the worship team come up and we, we sing together uh, this last song, I invite you to, to prayerfully ask the Lord to ser- search your heart for places of weariness, places of offense, places where maybe you've grown jaded in your heart where you're still saying all the right things, your community group thinks you're doing fine. We don't do that, right? In our community groups, we don't pretend like everything's fine when things are not. But maybe you haven't been honest with the Lord in prayer. Just invite you, as, as we start a new year together as, as a church body, to be honest with God about those places. Be honest about the places you need to be reminded of the truths of his faithfulness of his redemption and his word. Let's come before the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you this morning that you are good and your your love endures forever. Your steadfast love endures forever. God, we, we thank you that that even when the youth grow tired and weary, you never do. God, for you are the everlasting God. You never grow tired or weary. Thank you that with you there is rest. With you is a fountain of life and you renew our strength as, we, as the eagles. Lord, you catch us up on eagle's wing. God, I pray that that would be true for us this morning, that you would heal us, God, of, of inward weariness in our walk with you. We rejoice in your grace. We commit ourselves this morning to to walk humbly with you in the new year and to be your ambassadors of love and justice to the world around us, in Jesus' name.